Hey everybody, welcome to Props and Hops. I'm Matt Landis, and in this episode, we'll work through the NFL Week 2 board through the lens of the best football gambling podcasts. We'll also talk some beer and break down some bets, so to kick things off, it's overreaction week in the NFL, and that can only mean one thing. And the narratives have been deafening coming out of week one. We've heard Cleveland and Detroit are still dysfunctional, Dallas and Tampa Bay were overhyped, Cam Newton's back in MVP form while Phillip Rivers is washed up. We could go on, but the odds are some of these are true and some of them aren't. The Browns didn't look so dysfunctional last night. So the overall point here is that week one is just not enough to jump to sweeping conclusions. But that said, it is the only information we have so far this year, and especially with no preseason, we need to respond without being overreactive. So to make sense of all this, we'll turn to some trusted sources and break down the Week 2 board. Going in rotation order and starting with the Rams at Philadelphia, current line as I record this Friday morning Pacific time, Eagles minus 1, total 45.5, and and I don't have too much to add to the game at this point. We took the under 48 in the NFL season preview episode two weeks ago. That was following the lead of Tommy the Hitman from the Dream Preview. And as far as the spread goes, the markets made a big adjustment to the Rams. The Philadelphia Eagles were three and a half point favorites on the look ahead line. And I think we see a slight overreaction here. The Eagles are slated to get Pro Bowl right tackle Lane Johnson back for week two, along with running back Miles Sanders. But not a lot of value left at these numbers, so let's move on to the next game. And that next game would be Carolina at Tampa Bay. Current spread, Bucks minus 8.5, total 47.5. And the Matchbook podcast did a good breakdown on this game. Suma likes Tampa Bay up to 9.5. And they recorded this before we got news that Chris Godwin was in the concussion protocol, but I still think the guys would like the number where it currently stands. Suma pointed out Tampa Bay had a lot of bad breaks against the Saints, and that skewed the final score. The Bucks will also have a healthier Mike Evans, and their defensive front seven well-suited to contain Christian McCaffrey on the ground. And on the other side of the ball, Suma sees this as an ideal matchup for the Bucks' offense to get right against a porous Panthers defense. Drew was neutral on the side here. He thinks that Brady's quick precision pass game might not be the best fit with Tampa Bay's downfield weapons and generally aggressive scheme under Bruce Arians. Andrew's also low on the Bucks' run game, but he does agree Tampa Bay's defense a great fit to stop Carolina on the ground. Moving on to Adam's take on the game, he thinks the spread should be in double digits, calling out that Carolina's defense is young, they have a lot of turnover, and last week they generated the second fewest quarterback pressures in the league, while allowing the fourth most yards after catch, due in large part to the second most missed tackles in the league. As far as my take on the side here, we got some Tampa Bay money early in the week before news of Godwin entering the concussion protocol. That's obviously bad news for the Bucks, but I think it could be good news for betters because it brings Tampa Bay back into teaser territory. I'll be wagering accordingly. And one more note on this game. On the deep dive, Drew and Andy were aligned on looking at Carolina team total under 20, still okay with it, down to 19.5. They noted that Tampa Bay allowing 34 points in New Orleans week one was misleading. There was a pick six plus a muff punt to set up another score for this Saints. In this one, Tampa Bay should be able to contain Christian McCaffrey. And I like the logic here. I would say I'm a strong lean at the Carolina team total under 20, but the Tampa Bay pass defense remains unproven, and Christian McCaffrey's also a weapon in the pass game. So is DJ Moore. The Panthers also have Robbie Anderson who can stretch the field, so just a strong lean here for me on the Carolina team total under. Next game on the board, Denver at Pittsburgh. Current total Steelers anywhere from a flat minus 7 to a cheap 7.5, total at 40.5. And on the Even Money podcast, Steve and Ross were both on Pittsburgh at minus 6.5 at the time of their recording, and there's been money on the Steelers since then, so Steve and Ross got a good number. 
As far as the handicap goes, Steve called out Denver getting lucky to cover on Monday night against Tennessee because Steven Guskowski missed three field goals and an extra point. And full disclosure here, I took Denver plus three at plus 108 at post, so I was definitely fortunate that Guskowski missed four kicks and Brian Tannehill missed A.J. Brown for the game-winning touchdown on Tennessee's last play from scrimmage. But that wasn't necessarily a lucky cover for Denver. Let's look at the facts. Denver won yards per play decisively. Melvin Gordon lost a fumble deep in his own territory. That set up Tennessee's first touchdown. Denver had an interception overturned by a penalty that didn't affect the play at all. Both teams got cracks at fourth and goal from the one. Tennessee converted theirs. Denver didn't. And Denver's last real drive, Jerry Judy had a bad drop that would have put them in field goal range to take a more commanding lead. And right after that, Drew Locke had a bad overthrow on a wide open touchdown that could have just about sealed it. So the point here isn't to say that Denver got unlucky to lose that game to the Titans, but that both teams got a lot of good and bad breaks. So the bottom line here, Tennessee was available as the underdog or a short favorite for months. So if you lost a bet laying the points with the Titans here, you didn't get a bad beat, you bet a bad number. All right, and with that, I'll get off my soapbox now, but thought that was an important point to clarify as week one narratives have a way of spiraling down a one-way path when the reality could be quite different. Steve also mentioned liking Pittsburgh on the Dream Preview, and I thought he presented a better handicap there, namely calling out that it's a short week on the road for Denver after the late Monday night football game, and Denver's defense might be especially tired after they were on the field for the majority of that week one matchup with the Titans. Meanwhile, on the deep dive, Andy mentioned he's teasing the Steelers this week, and I'm on board with him there. This looks like another great teaser leg. I'll be on two teasers this week, and as far as this one goes, we've got the clear better team at home needing to do little more than win outright, and after Vic Fangio botched the clock in the endgame last week, Mike Tomlin might even be the better game manager in this matchup. Moving on to the next game on the board, Atlanta at Dallas. Current line, Cowboys laying four or four and a half, total sitting at 54, And nothing on the side or total in this one, but on the Even Money podcast, Steve Fezzik brought up a great prop, shortest touchdown under one and a half yards. This is one of my favorite props to play in games with high totals. There are so many ways that this could cash. We could see pass interference in the end zone, a player getting stopped at the one, and then the team pounds it in from there. Coach is now smart enough to go for it on fourth and goal from the one, so we're not seeing those 18 and 19 yard field goals all the time. And I didn't hear Steve mention a price on this bet, but he had a similar prop leading up to the Super Bowl in February and said that with a total in this range, the line should be about minus 165. I make this a go at minus 155 or better. And if you don't have access to this bet yet, it should be available in just about every book's prop menu come Sunday morning. Up next, San Francisco at the Jets, current line 49ers minus 7, total 41.5. And And on the simple handicap with Adam Chernoff, Adam noted not to overreact to San Francisco's week 1 loss, saying they should have won the game. He called out the 49ers were stopped on a 4th and goal from the 1, they outgained Arizona by almost a yard per play, and I get what Adam's saying here, but Jimmy G looked pretty bad. I thought he was skittish in the pocket, he missed a couple easy throws and really big moments down the stretch. But Adam brought up what could be a good counterpoint to that notion. Jimmy G, no worse than Sam Darnold. Despite a 69-yard touchdown pass that was mostly yards after the catch, the Jets still averaged less than 5 yards per play against Buffalo in Week 1. 
putting the angle of two bad quarterbacks into play. On the Matchbook podcast, Suma's best bet was this game to go under, and I like his thought process. The Jets' offense is brutal. It lacks continuity. San Francisco, not a whole lot better. Lacking at wide receiver, George Kittle likely to be less than 100%. They might have to lean on the run, and that's the strength of the Jets' defense. Drew agrees with this total play as well. And a quick note, since the Matchbook podcast recorded, we've gotten news of cluster injuries for San Francisco cornerbacks with Richard Sherman going to IR, Akello Witherspoon in concussion protocol, but we've also heard Jamison Crowder out for the Jets in this one. So I still like this total. Anything 41 and a half or better is a play for me to get on the right side of that key number of 41. And there's also a little bit of San Francisco team total under 24 and a half still available. I would like some of that just to take the Niners cluster injuries at cornerback out of the equation. So for me, it's going to be a split ticket, mostly on the full game to go under 41 and a half with just a little bit on that San Francisco team total under 24 and a half. The dream preview also broke this one down with Steve Fezzik being on the Jets and Dave Esler's best bet being on the Jets. Fezzik's handicap seemed pretty similar to Suma's, wide receiver cluster injuries for both teams, Kittle at less than 100% for the Niners, San Francisco needing to run more, the Jets being likely to stop the run as that's the strength of their defense, and Fezzik also likes the correlated parlay here, the Jets plus 7 to the under. I like the logic there, but I trust the under way more than I trust the Jets, so I'll leave the side alone in this one. Moving on to Dave Esler's handicap, a lot of narratives and trends. West Coast team traveling east for an early start. San Francisco didn't win by more than a touchdown in its last five regular season games in 2019. The Niners are in a bit of a bubble here, playing back-to-back games in the same stadium in an unfamiliar environment across the country. And last year, the Jets 5-3 and three at home. The 49ers 1-2 and two as a road favorite. I don't know what to make of this. I hear Esler has a good record. I know he's been around for a while. I listen to what he has to say. I respect his opinions. But this handicap doesn't move the needle for me. Good sticking with the full game and San Francisco team total here. Up next, Buffalo at Miami. Current line, Bills minus 5.5, total 41. And on the Matchbook podcast, Drew mentioned liking the under here. He sees it as a similar matchup to Miami-New England last week. On the deep dive, we got a little more context with both Drew and Andy on the under in this one. Drew called out Buffalo should have gone under last week, but the Jets' good run defense meant more passing for the Bills that resulted in more plays and ultimately more points. Miami's not as good at stopping the run, and that should shorten this game. One interesting point from Andy on this one, Buffalo called the most play-action passes in the NFL last week, and that's a sign of good coaching to protect a bad quarterback. Look for more play-action this week. So with that in mind, I agree with the parallels to Miami-New England in Week 1, but there's little margin for error going under this number, especially if we see Ryan Fitzpatrick get turnover happy, or if we see play-action prove to be effective once again for Buffalo. On the Dream Preview, Steve Fezzik mentioned he's on Buffalo laying the points, and his handicap was mostly that we saw a misleading final last week. Buffalo should have won by more than 10. I see where he's going there, but Matt Holt came in with a good point. This spread right now implies Buffalo is two points better than New England, based on the line we saw for Miami at New England last week, and I don't think the Bills are much more than two points better than New England if they are two points better than the Patriots in the first place, so with that, I'm going to pass on the side. Up next, Minnesota at Indianapolis. Current line Colts minus 3 with a little extra VIG attached. Total 48.5 or 49. On the simple handicap this week, Adam called out Indianapolis's loss at Jacksonville was an extreme result. The Colts didn't punt. They outgained the Jaguars by 1.3 yards per play and by more than 200 yards overall. But... The Colts were just 2-for-5 at converting red zone opportunities into touchdowns, and they also went minus 2 in turnovers. 
As much as this was an extreme result, the Colts' secondary was exposed here, and the impulse could be to play on the Vikings because they scored 34 points last week. Colts' defense might allow just as many. Adam cautions against doing that. Minnesota scored three fourth-quarter touchdowns, and Adam called out those all came when they were down by three possessions, and the Packers pretty much let them move the ball at will in the interest of running out the clock. On the Matchbook Betting Podcast, Adam went into more detail on this game, noting that Phillip Rivers is fine. His two interceptions are getting overblown by the media. One of them came on fourth down. He had to take a chance anyway. And let's also consider Minnesota's defense an absolute mess with their lack of continuity in Week 1. The Vikings blitzed the third most often in the league, but they got pressure the third least often. Indianapolis's defense, meanwhile, yeah, they had a few bad plays, but they got pressure without the blitz. They had the lowest blitz rate in the league and got the third highest pressure rate. Sticking with the Matchbook Betting Podcast, Suma agrees with Adam here. He sees a big edge for the Indianapolis defensive front seven against a weak Minnesota offensive line. And Drew leans to the Colts. He played the over at open at 46. That number's long gone, but he still likes it up to 48 and a half. He calls out Indianapolis' defense, allowing 27 points to Jacksonville, a major concern. And the Vikings' defensive issues, well, they've been well documented here. So I lean to the over here, but the best of the numbers too far gone to get involved in the total. Can still get involved on the side, but we had a difference of opinion that's worth exploring. On the Even Money podcast, Steve Fezzik called out he's on the Vikings plus three here. He's down on Phillip Rivers, high on Mike Zimmer, and that wasn't enough to get me on the Colts. On the Dream Preview, Fezzik and RJ both on the Vikings plus three. They talked about the look-ahead line being two and a half, and RJ scoffed at the notion of this line moving up after the Colts lost outright to Jacksonville. But I have to say, watching both games and looking at the stats, it's hard to argue that Minnesota didn't play worse than the Colts in Week 1. There was also the narrative on the Dream Preview, Mike Zimmer off a loss, he has the ability to exploit opposing quarterbacks' limitations. That may be true, Zimmer's regarded as a great coach, but he's got his hands tied with this year's Vikings defense. And Matt Holt pushed back in favor of the Colts. He brought up some of the points that we've already touched on here. And it was nice to hear RJ express some willingness to change his mind. He seemed like he might come off his Vikings position. And as important as it is to be open-minded as a better, I've got my mind made up on this one. I'm with Adam on the Colts minus three. I like it up to minus 120. It seems like we're seeing too much of an overreaction to the fact the Colts lost outright last week. Meanwhile, Minnesota's loss, not nearly as close, is the 43-34 final score would imply. Next game on the board, Detroit at Green Bay. Current line Packers laying 6.5, total 49.5. And And on the Matchbook podcast, Drew said he's on Green Bay. That line was minus 6 when they recorded, but I doubt the 6.5 takes him off it. Drew was really low on Detroit with their cluster injuries at cornerback. And on the deep dive, Drew also mentioned the Lions offense could be hampered with Kenny Galladay being injured. We got a different take on things with the Even Money podcast. Steve and Ross both on Detroit at the plus six. Gotta think they like it even more at six and a half. Steve's handicap, the regular season win total closing numbers imply only a small gap between these teams. And last year, Green Bay was minus four at home against Detroit. This year, the Packers should have reduced home field advantage without fans. Green Bay is expected to be worse and Detroit's expected to be better. So this line shouldn't be any higher than what it was last year at minus four. On the Dream Preview, the Lions were also Matt Holt's best bet at plus six. He sees a big overreaction to Green Bay. The Packers have been the biggest upgrade in the futures market after week one. 
And Matt also notes that Green Bay allowed 7.8 yards per play to the Vikings. That sounds like a huge number, but take it with a big grain of salt. I think we need to realize that Minnesota was moving the ball at will in garbage time. The Packers' defense wasn't necessarily as bad as that number would reflect. Back to Matt Holt's handicap, Green Bay suffered a big blow on the offensive line when guard Lane Taylor went down at Minnesota. He's out for the season now. And Detroit, yeah, they've got closer injuries at cornerback, but Matt expects most, if not all, of them to play. That seems more optimistic than most takes. So overall, with the side here, we've got a few different points of view. I respect the opinions and handicaps as they were presented, so I'll stay on the sidelines. And one more bet on this game, featured on the Dream Preview, Tommy the Hitman is on the over, he likes it up to 50. He calls out Detroit's secondary likely being without the top three cornerbacks, that goes against Matt Holt's optimism, but if Tommy is right, he sees the COVID year magnifying this issue, with practice squad players potentially being all over the secondary for the Lions, and they also have a weak pass rush, so the Packers might be able to score at will. Tommy also likes Detroit's offense, he's high on Stafford based on last year's performance before the injury, so I see where he's coming from but I would just make it a lean to the over. I think we've got too much uncertainty around the injury status for Detroit secondary, and without Galladay, their offense could be limited. Gonna pass on this total. Up next, Giants at Chicago. This will be a quick one. Bears laying 5.5, total 42. The numbers seem about right. Not the most exciting game on the board, so we will move on. Jacksonville at Tennessee. Current line, Titans laying 7.5, total 44. And on the Dream Preview, this was RJ's best bet. Jacksonville plus 8.5. The line moved down a point on Thursday, so RJ has a good number. But overall, his handicap remains sound. He sees it as an extremely short week for Tennessee. They played the late game on the Monday night doubleheader. They're now in the early window on Sunday. And there might also be a hangover from the elevation in Denver. Matt Holt had an argument against this. Overreaction to Tennessee's underwhelming win in Denver. This line was as high as minus 12 before the Monday night football game kicked off. So... I understand where both guys are coming from. I'm neutral on the side. I agree with RJ on the situation. I also like what Matt Holt had to say about the big line move that got even bigger after Thursday's money on Jacksonville. So not going to play the side straight up, but I do think this gives us another good teaser leg. Jacksonville was dominated by Indianapolis last week. I think Tennessee dominates the Jags again, and we get a true result this time. Moving into the late window of Sunday games, Washington at Arizona. Current line Cardinals laying a touchdown, total 46.5. And And on the simple handicap, Adam touched on this one, we've got two teams coming off upset wins that would imply the arrows pointing up, but... Washington, yeah, the defensive line was able to dominate, but that was against a Philadelphia offensive line that's in shambles. Arizona's offensive line, going to be in better shape this week. Washington on offense averaged just 3.4 yards per play. That was the worst in the NFL. And meanwhile, for the Cardinals, Adam made a case for why San Francisco deserved the win in that week one matchup. As far as the betting angle goes, Adams on the over, Arizona's pace 24 seconds per snap, and they ran 40% of their plays out of a no-huddle offense that was the second-highest total in the NFL last week. The Cardinals' tempo could also neutralize Washington's strength on defense, that would be their pass rush, and the Washington secondary gives Kyler Murray a much more beatable matchup than San Francisco did. For Washington's offense, they were bad, but Adam thinks they were better than they've been priced, and it's a step down in class to the Arizona defense. We saw some crossfire here on the Matchbook podcast where Adam's best bet was on the over and Drew came in on the under. Drew's high on the Washington defense, low on their Washington offense, and he liked the Arizona defensive performance last week. So I respect Drew's and Adam's opinions. When they disagree, I'm inclined just to pass. Selfishly, I'll hope this one stays under to help keep the Arizona-Detroit Week 3 opener in check to get an early play-in on the over. 
As far as the side goes, on the Even Money podcast, Steve and Ross were both on Arizona, minus 6.5. They got a good number that's no longer available, and Fezzik's handicap came down to Washington's win last week being more about the Philadelphia injuries and Dwayne Haskins still looking bad at quarterback. Steve also made Arizona his best bet on the Dream Preview, giving a similar handicap and noting that Washington's longest touchdown drive in Week 1 was less than 50 yards. RJ's going to go head-to-head with Fezzik on this one. He bet Washington, and RJ's point of view, the key to Arizona's value last week was a favorable matchup with the 49ers that's not necessarily in play in this game, and that isn't reflected enough in the number. I'm neutral at this spread. I think we had high expectations for Washington's defense in Week 1, and they still managed to exceed those expectations in dominating the Eagles. Dwayne Haskins should look better against the Arizona defense, but the Cardinals were also impressive in beating the Niners outright. This should be one to watch and learn. Up next, Baltimore at Houston, Ravens minus 7, total of 50. The Texans coming off extra rest from the Thursday night season opener, and on the simple handicap, Adam noted Houston was good early and then fell off after the opening script. The Texans gained about 40% of their yards against the Chiefs on the last two drives of the game, and each of those began with the Texans trailing by 24 points. From a total standpoint in this one, Adam notes that last year Houston increased its pace by about 20% when losing by a touchdown or more, but this year they have a new offensive coordinator and they hardly changed their pace while trailing last week. Looking at Baltimore, it was a decisive week one win over Cleveland, but the stats would indicate it was closer to about a two touchdown win than a 32 point win, so Baltimore still the best team in the league you could argue. This one should be a fun watch and learn as well. Moving on to a game with some action in play, Kansas City at the Chargers. Current line Chiefs minus 8.5, total 47.5. This is yet another good teaser leg, and it's my favorite one of the week. On the simple handicap, Adam noted the Chiefs, they'll get theirs on offense. They can beat a defense so many ways. They have a reputation for big, explosive plays, but then it was quick, short passes that got them past the Texans last week. For the Chargers, It could be an issue to keep up and match scores with the Chiefs. They struggled to move the ball versus Cincinnati's defense, and Kansas City represents a step up on both sides of the ball. From a teaser standpoint here, I like it because we also have the home field advantage getting negated a bit for the Chargers, and it's not because of the crowd this time. Kansas City gets extra rest off the Thursday night season opener. Meanwhile, the Chargers are flying back across the country, and this is the first game in the new stadium for both teams. That neutralizes the typical home team edge in familiarity with the venue. Also this week, news came out the Chargers lost Pro Bowl center Mike Pouncey for this season. And staying true to form, without Pouncey and also without Derwin James, the Chargers have lost standouts on both sides of the ball before they played a single snap this season. That leaves them with a lot to overcome. Up next, Sunday Night Football, and this will be a good one, New England at Seattle. Current line, Seahawks minus 4, total 44.5. And on the simple handicap, Adam touched on this one with the Patriots being his biggest power rating riser from Week 1. The offense looked to be clearly built around Cam Newton as a dual threat. 15 rush attempts, 75 yards, 2 touchdowns, and then passing 8.2 yards per attempt. This was good, but I think it's going to be a bigger test for New England on the road against a Seattle defense that's much better than what the Dolphins could throw at the Patriots. And looking at the Seahawks offense, Adam calls out the pass rate increased to more than 60%, even when leading most of the game. Are we finally seeing optimal play calling from offensive coordinator Brian Schottenheimer? On the Matchbook podcast, it sounds like Drew thinks we are seeing that. He's on Seattle. He sees value up to minus four, and that's the big X factor, Seattle's aggression in the pass game. Drew thinks week one was more signal than noise for what we'll see from Russell Wilson and the Seahawks offense in 2020. One point Drew willingly conceded, New England represents a bigger test for Seattle than Atlanta did on both sides of the ball. 
When the Matchbook crew got around to Suma's take on the game, he's neutral on the side, but he leans to the under. New England's defense plays a lot of nickel and dime. They're geared to stop the pass. This invites offenses to run. Meanwhile, New England on offense will be going up a good Seattle secondary with Jamal Adams, and Adams also has the ability to help limit Cam Newton's damage on the ground. When the Matchbook guys got around to Adam, he's higher on New England in this one. Adding to his thoughts from the simple handicap, Adam mentioned Seattle's defense, weak when it comes to rushing the passer, and meanwhile New England's defense a big step up in class for Seattle. Adam also called out some interesting numbers here. Factoring in home field advantage, last week's closing line implied the Seahawks are about two points better than the Falcons, and this line implies Seattle's about two points better than New England. So that would say that Atlanta is equal to New England, and yes, we've got to give Seattle a small upgrade after last week's performance, but the Patriots are a lot better than the Falcons, and in Adam's eyes, that means this line is too high. I respect Adam's opinion, I also respect Drew's, so when they disagree, I'm going to pass, but this game should be a blast to watch and learn. And last but not least, Monday Night Football, New Orleans at Las Vegas. It's the christening of Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas, and the Saints come in as the 5.5 point favorite, total of 49. On the Matchbook podcast, Drew said he's on the Raiders. He got a better number, but still sees value at the 5.5. His rationale, the line was 4.5 all summer. The gap between these teams didn't necessarily increase by a point in Week 1, especially when you account for the Saints losing Michael Thomas. Las Vegas has a defense vulnerable deep downfield, but Breeze's arm isn't able to exploit it like most other quarterbacks could, especially when you take away Breeze's best wide receiver. Adam also jumped in here and noted that Breeze had the lowest completed air yards of any quarterback in Week 1, but Las Vegas had 16 missed tackles. That was the most in the NFL, so we could see a lot of short passes and long runs after the catch for the Saints. Drew also calls out the Saints' 34-23 win over Tampa Bay was a misleading final in Week 1. The Saints were plus 3 in turnovers, including a pick 6. And Adam weighed in one more time here, noting that it's a significant step up in class for the Las Vegas offense after scoring was a cakewalk in Carolina. And Suma was neutral on this side here. He says he'd need 6.5 to get in play on the Raiders. I can't fault that logic. On the Dream Preview, Steve Fezzik said he's on the Raiders at plus 5.5. He makes Michael Thomas worth 1.5 points, says that absence isn't reflected in this line, and also calls out a body clock edge for the Raiders, late start for the Saints. So overall, I'm going to lean to the Raiders for now. I will get involved if we see 6.5, but at the current number, I don't trust their defense enough to get involved. It's looking like it'll be a pass. And it's also a pass for me on beer this week. I'm taking a self-imposed beer break that I like to do every three months just to keep things clean. But that doesn't mean we can't shed some light on a game day favorite and get into what we're drinking. And it's going to be some wishful drinking this week, living vicariously through David Malensky and one of his favorite football game day beers, Easy Jack. Easy Jack is a session IPA by Firestone Walker Brewing Company in Paso Robles, California. It clocks in at a very sessionable 4% ABV. Easy Jack pours a slightly foggy golden orange. I'll post a photo of it on Instagram, at Props and Hops, if you want to take a look at it. And the aroma and flavor, citrusy and tropical with a little touch of pine. It's got a light body with a crisp mouthfeel. Really nice balance of being hoppy and yet nice and light and refreshing. As a bonus, when you have Easy Jack, you can throw back a few without worrying about losing your mental edge. So we can put that mental edge to use and start breaking down what we're betting. 60% of the time, it works every time. All right, we teased at a couple teasers coming your way, so let's lead off with them. First off, my favorite of the week, 
Tampa Bay down to minus two and a half against Carolina and Kansas City minus two and a half at the Chargers. In this one, we've got two superior teams needing to do a little more than win outright. And looking at Tampa Bay, they're well equipped to contain Carolina's most dynamic weapon in Christian McCaffrey. So they should win this one outright without too much of a fight. And for Kansas City, it's a road trip to LA, but they're on extra rest while the Chargers travel back across the country. Also, the first game in the new stadium neutralizes the Chargers' home field advantage. Since these games are at different start times, if Tampa Bay covers the first leg, I'm planning a 20% middle to go back on the Chargers in order to open up Kansas City wins by anywhere from a field goal to a touchdown as a win number for both tickets. The second teaser, Steelers minus 1.5 versus the Broncos, with the Titans minus 1.5 versus the Jaguars. I'll make this one a slightly smaller wager than the Bucks chiefs teaser, but once again, it's superior teams, in this case both of them at home, needing to do little more than win outright. For Pittsburgh, Mike Tomlin might even be the better game manager in this head coaching matchup, and looking at Tennessee, we saw Jacksonville get dominated in the stats last week. I think the Titans do it to the Jaguars again, but this time we see a true outcome. Next up, following Suma's lead, looking at the San Francisco at the Jets under 41.5, also with a little San Francisco team total under 24.5. As Suma called out, we have weak offenses here, San Francisco lacking wide receivers, the Jets lacking continuity, and if the Niners need to run the ball a lot, that's going right into the strength of the Jets' defense. The small San Francisco team total bet under 24.5 is just a little way to work around the cluster injuries the Niners are facing at cornerback. Next up, Colts minus 3, good up to minus 120 hosting the Vikings. This is following Adams' turnoff lead. He handicaps it as an overreaction to the Colts' loss to the Jaguars in Week 1, and he dominated the stats. That was a misleading result. Meanwhile, looking at Minnesota, the loss to the Packers wasn't nearly as close as the final score would indicate, and the Vikings' defense looks like a major work in progress. And then to cap off the bets, let's put the props in props and hops. First off, following Steve Fezzik's lead, Atlanta-Dallas shortest touchdown under 1.5 yards, good up to minus 155. This one has a high total, that means we'll probably see more touchdowns. That translates to a higher probability of one of those touchdowns coming from the 1-yard line. And I'll also add in a bonus prop to the Falcons-Cowboys game, Atlanta to score first, good up to even money. Even though the Falcons are the underdog here, I have them pegged as one of only three teams in the NFL that elects to receive when winning the coin toss, according to my charts. So with a high total here, we're also likely to see a score on the first possession. That makes it likely we get the Falcons as the first team to score. And moving on to the final order of business here, the Malinsky Minute. Today, we're going to look at an exercise in bankroll management that Dave loved to bring up from time to time. How much would you have bet if? For example... How much would you have bet on a team to cover its teaser leg if you knew that team went plus 10 in first downs, ran 22 plays more than the opponent, outgained the opponent by more than a yard per play, and by more than 200 yards overall? Oh, and for good measure, that team also didn't punt. Well, that describes the Colts last week, and they lost to the Jaguars. We know it's an extreme result, but it happens. And that leaves us with a question, what to do about those extreme results? The answer, Dave would say, wager accordingly. Dave would often talk about his 4-5-6 rule for bet sizing, and basically what that means is once you have a unit size established for the sport and the type of bet, a standard bet should be a multiple of 5, and the beauty of this is it can scale up or down to fit any bankroll. The max bet you should make gives it a ceiling of 6. That means no bet is more than 20% more valuable than that standard multiple of 5, 
and on the flip side, the floor would be a 4, implying that no bet worth making is more than 20% less valuable than that standard multiple of 5. So this 4-5-6 rule gives us a sliding scale. Want to call out the unit size varies across sports and types of bet within a sport, so be mindful of that. But the overall takeaway here, accept the vagaries that come with betting on football. The 4-5-6 rule makes it more clear and more practical than the 1-star, 2-star, 3-star types of bets we see across the touting industry. Remember, always imagine how much would you have bet if, and use that as a good rule of thumb to keep your bankroll in check. All right, that'll do it for this week's episode of Props and Hops. Thank you so much for listening. If you found any value in this episode, please share it with a friend who could benefit as well. And for now, let's get out there and enjoy week two of the NFL. We'll be back at it next Friday to break down week three. Until then, let's bet well, let's drink well, and let's be well.